You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, within minutes of arriving at this place, you, you just get a sense of amazement, a, a sense of, of wonderment. It's like going back in time. You get the sights, you get the sounds, you get the smells. Every aspect of this place reeks with authenticity. I'm referring to a place that's known as the Nazareth Village. It's a little village that's been recreated to look like the village as it was during the time when Jesus lived there. It's set on a gentle hillside. It has everything you'd expect of an ancient village of Nazareth. It has an olive press. It has a synagogue. It has a carpenter shop. It has a, a stack of houses. It, it has a stable. And to add to the authenticity, there are people moving around the village dressed in authentic Hebrew gear. And so as you move in, you become caught up in the activities of a typical day in the ancient village of Nazareth. The thing that really makes this village experience so moving, so memorable, so mesmerising is that it's actually set in Nazareth. It's one of the many uh, tourist attractions of that city, which is uh, today a city of about 70,000 people. Almost all are uh, Arab Muslims. Uh, but, but estimates put it that in the time of Jesus, the number of people in this, in this town might have been as low as 500 now, I was there in 2001, and, and I just love the experience of the Nazareth village. I know some of you have been there. It's just amazing. Uh, the other thing to see in Nazareth is the, the big Catholic cathedral, the Church of the Annunciation, built by the Catholics, uh, identified as the spot by the early church fathers as the place where Mary got the announcement that she was going to be the, the mother of Jesus, hence the, the Church of the Annunciation. Well, of course, this town of Nazareth, in which our reading is set, like it's very special for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, because this is the place where the earthly parents of Jesus were living at the time when they were told they would be his earthly parents. It's the place where Jesus learned about life. It's the place where he went to school. It's the place where he learned the traditions of the Jewish faith. It's the place where he did his apprenticeship as a carpenter. And it's the place where, according to our reading, Jesus had his first turn on the roster. So... Please feel for Anne Robinson as she tries to get you to work on the rosters. If you say, oh, not again, Jesus was on a roster. Okay, so there's our example. So uh, he, he, he was tested at all points like us, including serving on the roster. And uh, this was his turn to, to bring the reading. And uh, friends, this passage just happened to be Isaiah 61. And this was a passage which the people understood to be a messianic prediction giving details of the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus used this, of course, to declare in no uncertain manner his mission and his message. And in this declaration, this amazing declaration, there is so much that applies to the contemporary church. There is so much that applies to us as we seek to fulfil our mission, as we seek to, to articulate our message. Look at the opening words that, comes from, that come from Jesus' lips. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the baseline requirement for any effective ministry and mission. The presence and the power of the Holy Spirit 
in the lives of those who are seeking to minister. This is what Paul is referring to in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, when he says, Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. The preservation of unity is one of our core values here at Northside. It's essential in mission if burdens are to be released and if baggage is to be discarded. But what about Jesus' next utterance? He has chosen me. He has chosen me. The idea of divine appointment in the service of Christ. You recall on one occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, recorded in John chapter 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, the kind of fruit that endures. Friends, we're in mission because God believes we are worthy to be in mission. Don't ever lose sight of that. Irrespective of what you see as your giftedness or lack of giftedness, you are called to be in mission because God believes you are worthy to be in mission. He's appointed you. He trusts us to bear fruit, lasting fruit, enduring fruit. So here in Luke 4, Jesus is using the passage from Isaiah to set the scene for his ministry, to spell out the direction, the outcome of his mission to the world. And we continue to this day. We continue right now in 2013 in the wake of that original declaration by Jesus. The church of Jesus Christ is entrusted with a message enabling people to live free and travel light. Its power to transform is amazing. Its ability to redeem, to realign, to reconcile, to revitalize people spiritually is astounding. The essential components to this message are contained in this inspiring reading from Isaiah 61. And Jesus read it to that Nazareth congregation on that day when Jesus took his place on the reading roster. Friends, this is our message to the world and it's at the heart of all we're seeking to do through our ministries and our events here at Northside, our services. You see, in Jesus, there's, there's everything we need. There is everything we need to manage the baggage of life, the heartaches, the disappointments, the pain and the confusion. First off, there's good news. There's good news. Jesus said, he has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. Yes, it's good news to those who are poor in a material sense, but it's also good news to those who are poor in a spiritual sense. It's good news. And I would say that this remains one of the, the greatest challenges in ministry today to convince a very cynical world that the Christian message really is good news. We're working against the perception that the Christian faith is bad news. It's about legalism. It's about restrictions. It's about, it's about shoulds and should nots. It's about judgment. Some of you remember I, I told a story a number of years ago about a time I was at Port Arthur down in Tasmania. Many of you have been there. It's a very depressing place particularly on a dull, foggy Tasmanian day. And I was down there and we got to a point where, in fact, I was on my own. I was down there to do a, a wedding. And we got to a point where you go to what's known as the uh, asylum. And, and there's, a, there's the remains of the chapel of the asylum. You don't even want to think about what might have happened there in centuries gone by. And there's the remains of a pulpit. And on this occasion, the group that was sort of moving through the ruins with me had a bit of a skylark with one of their with one of their friends, one of their party, and they said, come on, Pam, give us a sermon. And Pam said, oh, don't be stupid. No, come on, Pam, give us a sermon. Come on, give us a sermon. You know, I don't know if they'd been having a few sherbies or what, but they seemed to sort of like be fairly animated. And uh, finally, Pam reached the point where she was prepared to give a sermon. 
at this remains of this pulpit. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. And she leaned over the pulpit and she said, now listen up, all you filthy, rotten sinners. And the crowd, way, big cheers, hey, woo. Pam had given a sermon. And I sort of thought for a moment as they moved on, I thought, wow, wow. That's what the average Australian thinks a sermon is. You've got to give a sermon, a sermon. You filthy, rotten sinners. Now that is part of the, an acknowledgement of our sin is part of the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is grace. The gospel is forgiveness. The gospel is redemption. I didn't hear any of that in Pam's little makeshift sermon that day. And friends, that's what we're up against. But Jesus says, yeah, I've, I've come to bring good news. Well, something else about our message, and it's this. In Jesus, there's freedom. Verse 18, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Some other, some other versions say to preach deliverance to the captives. And, and deliverance is a very powerful word. The ancient Hebrew word for deliverance was, was simply to rescue. And down through the ages, the, the gospel has been an, an instrument in literally bringing release and deliverance to captives. Uh, in fact, the term liberation theology was developed by Catholic priests in the 20th century, working in, in Latin America uh, among impoverished people, seeking to use the gospel witness to bring release from economic, political, racial, social, sexual oppression and exploitation. And today there are many missions around the world, of course, that serve under this banner. An example would be Christians who are involved in trying to stop the, the human trafficking uh, disaster that seems to have so much of the world in its grip. But friends, who are the captives in a civilised, regulated society like Australia? Who, who are the captives among the people with whom you mix and meet? Who are those who need to be delivered, who need to be released? Clearly those in the grip of addictive behaviours, of course. But beyond that, what are the more subtle forms of captivity in our world today? What about the people with their, who have an insatiable appetite for more? More power, more wealth, more prestige, more pleasure, more of this world's goods. We're coming to a season where we'll see evidence of this form of captivity in what's commonly known as the mad Christmas rush. It's, going to all, it's starting already. I was at Macquarie Shopping Centre yesterday. It's starting already. It's crazy. What they're expecting some of us to buy as Christmas gifts, amazing. But as we know, no matter how extravagant the gift or how exciting and grandiose the celebration, if someone's deficient in the areas of meaning, of purpose, of hope, of inner peace, the kind of peace only Jesus Christ can give. If there's deficiencies in these areas, nothing will do it for the person in the long term. Nothing will do it. Something else arising out of this memorable moment in the Nazareth synagogue. There's a powerful reminder that in Jesus there's recovery. Verse 18, he's chosen me to bring good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Now, friends, we know Jesus restored sight to blind people on a number of occasions. But he also restored spiritual sight and continues to restore spiritual sight to every time a person surrenders their life to him. I love the way light and darkness are contrasted throughout the Bible. Light always is used to portray faith, hope 
salvation. Darkness is always used to portray doubt, fear, anxiety, unbelief. And Jesus, of course, described himself as the light of the world. John chapter 8, verse, verse 12. I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the writer of the Ephesians picks up on this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. You yourselves used to be in darkness, but since you have become the Lord's people, you belong to the light. So you must live like people who belong to the light. I think I've seen more baptisms this year than I've seen for a long time. Here we are at Northside moving toward a record number. It looks like we probably have around 20 baptisms this year. Praise God, it's exciting. On that recent trip to America, uh, we discovered a new trend among some of these large churches on the west coast of America. It's called spontaneous baptisms, where they will preach a message that's designed to bring people to faith. And then the invitation is there. They're trying to restore the, what was the New Testament practice. You know, see here is water. What's to stop me from being baptised? Most examples of baptism in the book of Acts happen on the spot. And so these churches uh, are seeking to recreate that with uh, spontaneous baptism and sweeping right through all these churches. So we were going to services where there were 15, 25 people being baptised after the service. And that was just one of five or six services over the weekend. So I just sort of feel as I've seen stacks of baptisms over the last few months and it's just been amazing and if you are like me every time there's a baptism it just something stirs your heart so powerfully but you know as people are asked in the baptistry what's brought you to this moment why are you here what has God been doing I've been thinking there's there's several themes that come through very clearly both here and in what I saw in America people saying things like I can see what God has done for me I can see how through Jesus he's forgiven my sins. I can see how he's been guiding me. And I want to say thank you and I want to give my life to him. I can see he has a plan for my life. That's a kind of a summary of the kind of things that are said on the part of people coming to be baptised. Part of the miracle of conversion is we begin to see things as they really are. Our faith enables us to make some sense out of life's struggles. Some of you are going through that now. It provides us with a reason to keep pressing on. Helps us to see where we fit in based on our gifts and our resources, the part we're meant to play in this whole process of ministry. And in all of this, we're not exercising blind faith. In this age of reason and reason and rationalism, we're not exercising blind, crazy faith. It's not faith without reason, but the very limits of reason make faith a necessity. That's, that's something you can tell your Cynical, atheistic friends. (laughs) My faith is not without reason, but the limits of reason, and there are limits to reason. The limits to reason make faith an essential if we're going to be a fully developed human being. Final two things to come out of Jesus' words. In him, there's release. We haven't got time to unpack these this morning. Release, verse 18, to set free the oppressed, to release people from the the everyday stresses and strains of life. Pretty much what we picked up on last week's message about Come to me, those who are tired of carrying heavy loads. And ultimately, in Jesus, there's salvation. Verse 19, Jesus said, He was there to announce the time has come when the Lord will save his people. What does the Bible say today is the day of salvation? 
Friends, there's an, there's an urgency about the good news. There's an urgency about this good news of Jesus. A sense of urgency needs to be reflected in how we do mission. The clarity and, and the strength of our presentation at all levels. The desire we have to see people respond. And the corresponding desire that must be there to actually share it in the first place. No good having expectations about response if there's not a, a passion about sharing and, and getting it out there in the first place. But as we know, if you've read ahead and if you know this passage, the Nazareth experience, this incident, had a very sad, even disturbing end. Do you remember? If you read the verses just a little bit further on. In a preview of what would happen in the ages to come, our Lord's good news declaration was met with hostile resistance and ultimately Rejection. It's an amazing conclusion to something that got off in such, to such a great start. Hey, this is Joseph's son. Wow. He's a good boy. I've always liked him. But he's claiming to be the Messiah. What? What? Hey, hang on. Whoa, whoa. Hey. And that's when the wheels started to come off. As Jesus started to delve into some of the real issues, there was this violent reaction. And they tried to throw him off a cliff. It's a sobering reminder that ministry is really easy. It wasn't for Jesus and it's not for us either. People aren't always as responsive as we'd like them to be. They'd rather hang on to their excess baggage than give it over to the one who says, come to me, all those who are tired of carrying heavy loads. And I'll give you rest. People recognise that it can be risky, even dangerous. To follow Jesus in terms of the adventure, the changes, the challenges that lie ahead. We got any Q&A fans here? One or two? Uh, did you see that episode a few weeks ago where it was a, pa- a group of panellists from what Melbourne had declared to be the, the Festival of Dangerous Ideas? Sounds like a Melbourne festival, doesn't it? The Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And there was a group of panellists, including Germaine Greer and a few other fairly edgy people, including a journalist from England, a man by the name of Peter Hitchens, who had clearly had some sort of conversion experience. But unfortunately, as the panel discussion unfolded, he had a fairly pretentious, fairly insensitive way of putting his point across. And for a while, I was thinking he was doing more damage than than good for the, uh, for the Christian cause. But he was saving his best to last because the final question was, what is the most dangerous idea you've ever come across? Or words to that effect. And each of these edgy panellists had a response to make, including Germaine Greer. And then it came to this man, Peter Hitchens, and he said this, primetime television, millions of people watching. The most dangerous idea in human history and philosophy remains the belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, And rose from the dead. That is the most dangerous idea you'll ever encounter. Why? Because it alters the whole of human behaviour and responsibility. It turns the universe from meaningless chaos into a design place in which there is justice and there is hope. Therefore, we all have a duty to discover the nature of that justice and work toward that hope. This belief, he says, alters all, whether we reject it or accept it. It alters everyone. It is incredibly dangerous. That's why so many people are against it. And and there was a kind of a, a momentary hush fell over the crowd after that little response. 
The spirit, of, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, said Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us, friends. We've been chosen. We've been appointed by God to live out this bold, at times dangerous, way of life in him. It's good news. It's good news. It's freedom. It's release. It's ultimately salvation. It's burden lifting. And some of you are proving this every day of your lives and we ask, where would we be without it? Don't be discouraged by the lack of responsiveness you may be finding among your friends and relatives. Keep faithful. Jesus Christ stayed faithful. And in later passages in Luke, they were to go, John sent his disciples in Luke 7 to Jesus. John's in prison. And they said, are you the one we're looking for? Things are going really badly. You got rejected at Nazareth. John's in prison. Things are going. What's, are you the guy? And what did Jesus say? He basically says everything that he outlines in this Isaiah reading is happening. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf are healed. It's happening. And friends, I find in ministry, both at the personal level and at a church level, you've just got to... You've just got to focus on those things that do represent breakthroughs because <laughs> you can get overwhelmed by the negative response, by the press reports on church life and priests out of control and it can be very, very depressing. But then you drop onto something that represents a breakthrough and we do it in ministry all the time. One of the ways to survive in ministry is to keep your expectations relatively low so that you just jump onto anything that is evidence of God's breakthrough. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us. Has the Spirit of the Lord descended on you yet for the first time? Have you embraced the good news, the life-changing message of Jesus for the first time? There's an opportunity as we go to ministry time for you to do that. It may be that you want to come and pray and give thanks and maybe pray about something on your heart. It could be you want to come and just simply say those words as many have in recent times. I'd like to follow Jesus Christ and we'll pray with you and we'll point you in the direction that will ultimately have you declaring your faith through the waters of baptism also. Let us bow in prayer, shall we?